Welcome everybody to the Outer Spaces podcast intro. So today I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Joseph Mills uh, from Riverside Landscape and Design in Richmond, Virginia. And we, we had a great conversation about how he's new in business. He's been in business now on his own for about three years and he's learned so much in three years. And he starts off with a story about how he got screwed on uh, change orders by not getting signatures and how he fixed that problem. And then we talked a lot about uh, you know, mindset, of course, and he, what he learned, he went to college for, uh, for horticulture and for landscape design, but it did not prepare him for life. It did not prepare him for owning his own business and dealing with all of that. He had to go out and create his own network of mentors in order to help him through. And we work through how he gains confidence, how he builds trust in himself. So this is definitely an episode you're not going to want to miss, especially if you're just new in business, starting out in the outdoor living arena or the landscape or the hardscape world. This one's going to hit home. So don't miss this one. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now. Let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast, uh, sponsored by Yes Express, where we teach you how to get more yeses with less stress. So today, Joe is on. He is the owner of Riverside Landscape and Design in Richmond, Virginia. Um, he started in business in 2019, right after he graduated college. So, uh, and he actually started a little earlier than that. Uh, he has about 10 years experience in the industry overall. He is young and hungry and I love young and hungry people. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Josh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, brother. So, Hey, I want to start out with a story before we hit go. We started talking about one of your most interesting, uh, client experiences working with clients. So please let, have us uh, enjoy your, your conversation. So shoot us with this story. Okay, perfect. So um, last fall, uh, my company connected with a landscape architect and um, <clears throat> he started feeding us projects because um, he didn't want to install. He just wanted to design. So we formed a good relationship and um, he introduced us to this client. Um, I'm just going to call her Jay. So anyway, Jay um, and her husband were redoing their entire property, right? Mm. So they had had a stonemason there for about two years, just doing stuff, like refacing the entire fronts of their house, everything. So they were turning this classic old farmhouse into like this beautiful, like art mansion. I mean, just really cool stuff. So they hired us to do all the landscape drainage and a few grading and seeding things. So um, we were, we were working for them and it was probably about the third or fourth day we were there. And they said, Hey Joe, um, we would really like you to add, you know, some drain rock around the fronts of our, you know, front of the planning bed that we were doing. And I said, okay, um, you know, it's, that wasn't in contracted what I was contracted to do, but I would be happy to, you know, write you up a quote, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that we could do. And they were like, oh no, just add it to my tab. Oh boy. <laughs> Famous last words. Yes, Josh. yes, yes. So I was young and dumb and I was like, cool. You know, I never had a customer just like added to my tab, you know, I was like, yeah. awesome. <laughs> so we get through the job when we've probably done about 10 change orders for her in varying degrees. You know, some of it was um, drain rock. Some of it was extra grading, bringing in extra soil. Um, the, I remember that the, there are a couple contractors who had like left debris on site or like hadn't moved their bulk piles. And so we had a skid steer there for the majority of the project. So I basically rented her an operator and a machine for the day, like one of my guys, and they just moved piles around. He spent the entire day just moving piles around the property mm -hmm. and a couple other things. And so when I got to the end, the way that I had structured it was, is that there was going to be in total four payments. So that there was the down payment, there was midway through the project, and then there was end of the project. And then the fourth one was all of the change orders mm. that were put together through the project. And they amounted to about $10,000. 
they got that email for the change orders and I didn't hear from them for like two weeks. And, you know, my time due is like 15 days. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, maybe they're just really busy. I extended it to 30. Right. Mm. So then they finally come back on day 29 and send me an email and they were like, Hey, this is bullshit. Um, they were like, if you think you can take advantage of us just because we're rich, you know, oh boy! <laughs> if you think you can take advantage of us just oh, because we're rich, you have another thing coming. And they were like, we're not going to pay this. And mm. I was like, oh. <laughs> Joe.exe has stopped working. You know, like I was like, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? So I called the landscape architect and he was like, I have no idea why they're doing this. He said, let me call them and figure it out. So I said, okay. He comes back to me like two hours later and he's like, hey, um, they just think you're trying to take advantage of them. They had no idea that all this was going to cost that much. And I said, well, you know, I offered to write them quotes each time. And they said, oh, no, just add it to our tab. So here's the tab. And the landscape architect was like, I'm not sure what you want to do. Um, you know, maybe you can do work on a payment schedule with them. And I was like, OK. So I tried contacting them again. Nothing. I Ended up going to their house a bunch of times, knocking on the door. They wouldn't answer the door, even though the stonemason that's been there for two years, he was working outside and he for probably was getting paid. So, yeah. Um, what it ended up to is I ended up discounting the final invoice amount from 10000 to 7500 Okay. And I got paid. Wow. How long did it take them to pay after you discounted it? Um, probably took them about a week to pay. Okay. But that was a bit of a relief, right? Yeah, a bit of a relief. Um, yeah. One of my mentors at the time, so this was, there was an issue with this probably about two months ago, that their warranty for their plant material was kind of coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And I think they knew, they knew that. So at the very end, they decided to call me and say, hey, a bunch of these plants died. We need you to come out and replace them. So customary with our warranty, yeah, of course, we're going to go out and replace them. But they had also just dinged me out $2,500, Yeah. right? And so part of me was pretty salty about that. Mm, for sure. Um, and one of my mentors said, you know, when you gave them the discount, you should have, you could have given them a bigger discount and then said, unfortunately, I have to, you know, it's, it's not extend, it's not the right word. Um, I have to know your warranty with mm -hmm. your plant material. So probably should have done that. Mm -hmm. But we went out and replaced the plants. It was fine. I was a little salty about doing it, but we did it because it's the right thing to do. So, All right, man, that's it's it's amazing. You tell a story like that because I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to those kinds of things. And I've got plenty of broken bones and black eyes from that very similar situation in my early years, where it was like, yeah, just add it to my tab or no big deal. We'll just we'll we'll settle up at the end. That's another good one. Yeah, just yeah. take care of it. Your machine's here. Just take care of it. And then you come back with the thirty five hundred dollar change order at the very end, and they're like what's that for? I'm like, that's when you said you wanted us to take this whole bank and roll it down and redo the whole thing with sod. This is what it costs. And I was afraid in the beginning, if I told my number, they'd say no. So I yeah. would just be like, yeah, we'll figure it out later. And the next thing you know, later came and they were, it, it's all about expectations, right, Joe? It's all about expectations for them. They were probably thinking, well, these guys are here working. What's that like five, maybe 7,500 bucks, you know, five grand, 7,500 bucks, 10 grand. Oh my God. That becomes out of their expectation range. Um, yeah. So what did you learn overall from that? What do you um, do different I, now? <laughs> uh, everything is in contract, even change orders. Mm -hmm. So um, usually what I'll do is, you know, if they come to me with a change order, I'll say, okay, we're going to rate you up quote. And I still have some people be like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. And I'm like, no, just humor me on this one. And they're like, okay. So I'll send them a quote. And five times out of 10 now, if we're working on current projects, so 50% of the time, they're like, whoa. That's more than I was expecting. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, that's what it costs. They're like, but you're, you're already here. Like, you don't have any travel. And it's like, well, we still have high material costs. We still have to pay for our overhead because that's extra time that we're devoting to your project. So, but luckily, the other 50% people are cool with it. So then I actually write up a formal contract again, mm -hmm. similar to the work that we're already doing contract, but another contract to denote this is the change order. This is what we're doing. This is what you're agreeing to. And then they go ahead and pay 50% on the, uh, like a down payment for the change order. Nice. That's good. So that's worked out well. And all of my install jobs now are in contract. Yeah. Um, 
I was doing that one. It was kind of, it was a really weak contract. It was like, oh, you'll pay this amount and you'll at least pay it all by the end. You know, something yeah. really weak sauce like that, right? So now everything is firmed up. I have uh, one of my mowing clients works in legal. So she connected me to a really cool lawyer that I've been working with. And he reviewed everything and added some legalese to it to protect me. So Good. we're in a, we're in a better spot now. So. For sure. Was it, did it take a little bit to get a lawyer involved? Cause I know when I first started, I'm like, I don't want lawyers involved. I don't want any extra steps involved for my clients. I'm afraid they're going to say no. If I give them too many things, you know, too many hoops to hop through. Um, did you find any of that or did you like, you know what, after I got burned, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, like, it after I got burned, there's, you know, yep. but Bring I made team. sure to, I explained to the lawyer, I said, Hey, listen, you know, I don't really want anything like super complicated. I just want to be protected. Yes. And he was like, okay, I understand. So what he came up with, I think fits the bill pretty well. And it still allows some custom room to custom to like specific contracts. Um, yeah. And it's just like a form that I can plug and play off of. Yeah. Well, these are the things you got to learn in business. They don't teach you that stuff in school, do they? No, no. This is <laughs> like, I got a horticulture degree. Okay. Yeah. I got a landscape design and horticulture degree. Right. So I had to take, I think like one or two business classes as part of degree. And they just scraped the surface. They weren't even specific to contracting. They were just specific to running a business. Yeah. So like it's scraped the surface and even you know like i learned a lot of like how to you know learn about plants how to educate clients like that's what school is so great for right yep. and then it teaches you all the working with other people the collaboration getting stuff done on time having huge you know projects and things and managing all that nothing prepares you when you come out of school and i went to work for one of the biggest landscape companies in the united states after I graduated, not Brave View, but somebody else um, as a maintenance foreman. So when I graduated, I went and worked for them. So nothing in school prepares you for walking back to your truck and seeing three guys shooting up heroin in your backseat. Oh, shit. So as a young college student, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> they don't have classes for that? <laughs> yeah, they don't have classes for heroin users. Yeah. So, yeah I, literally, I was so green. I was like, uh, um... And I called my manager and my manager was like, well, are they, are they still working? And I was like, <laughs> Can I, don't know if, I don't know if they're working that well, to be honest with you. Yeah. And he was like, okay, well, we'll see it. We'll see him at the end of the day. And only two of them ended up getting fired. The other one, I don't know how he didn't get fired, but he didn't. Wow. So. Incredible. Yeah. I guess the help is tough to find. So they, <laughs> oh, it's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's in crazy stuff. So, uh, Joe, take us back to your story. How'd you get into this industry? What do you love about it? You know, take us down the, uh, down the path of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the story that I tell almost everybody and it's very common, um, is that I remember being four years old and my first memory was looking out the window and watching my neighbor's lawn being mowed X mark turf tracers. And I was like, I want to do that. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of kids when they're growing up have like the whole, oh, I love garbage trucks. I love dump trucks, you know, like I love trucks and, you know, eventually maybe they start to grow out of it. I just never grew out of it. So by the time I was in elementary school and my parents sent me to chess camp one summer, they thought that, you know, chess would be something good for me to learn and, um, challenging the mind. Well, I wasn't really that good at chess camp because, uh, the teacher, apparently sent pictures to my parents and I was away from everybody in the corner and I was watching and it's in the picture. There is, um, it looks like they were constructing like a baseball field. Mm -hmm. And so I was just staring out the window, watching all that going on and people were playing chess and they were like, Hey Joe, we really uh, need you to join this game. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I need to watch this. This is more important. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that was pretty much common through all my years of school. Um, I remember being in middle school and I could like watch any trailer go by and I could name off all the mowers and guess the deck sizes and know the engines that go with them and stuff like that. And I just, um, it wasn't impressive to anybody else in middle school, but yeah, it was yeah. pretty impressive to me. So it's paying anyway, off now, right? <laughs> yeah. Paying off now. <laughs> but, um, I was in eighth grade and, um, I credit my mom a lot. My mom uh, works at George Mason university. Okay. And she works in the um, career counseling department. 
And so she works a lot with employers. She works a lot with students. Um, and so she was like, hey, you really need to think about how to create a professional profile for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in eighth grade, I knew that I wanted to own my own landscape design build company and maintenance. And I knew that in eighth grade and you know, going into high school, I was like, this is what I want to do. So I started a little company in high school called Townhouse Yards. And the reason I did that is because I saw a niche that I lived in townhouses and there was a huge, you know, market for just doing the little backyards and townhouses because the big companies wouldn't meet their margins to go over there. And we had people like Valley Crest doing the common areas, mm-hmm. right? So I started the business just focused on doing the small areas and backyards. And then as I could get my driver's license and expand other neighborhoods, um, I was able to grow that into more, you know, single family homes, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So townhouse yards was a really great, like first, like lesson example in how to run a business. It was a lot lower stakes because I lived with my parents. Um, and so, you know, my equipment, I put in my garage downstairs, you know, like I had a truck, I didn't even have a trailer. Like I had a 36 inch X mark and I used to take ATV ramps and load it into the back of my Ford Ranger and zoom around town thinking I was hot shit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I remember my senior year of high school, I thought it was really hot shit because I had a bunch of teachers that I had asked me to mow for them over the summer while they went on vacation or something. So I was like, oh, I'm doing the teacher's houses. I must be something. No, mm-hmm. not really. Um, So there was that. And I also worked at Merrifield Garden Center for a time. That was a retail garden center in my area. And townhouse yards became so big, probably around my junior year, that I actually quit working at Maryville Garden Center. Um, and then I started buying from Maryville Garden Center plants and mulch, the same people that I had been working with, but now I was on the contractor side. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a cool memory. And then at the end of uh, senior year, you know, it was, it was probably like mid junior year and my parents were really pushing me to apply to school. And I was like, no, I don't need college. Like I can just keep doing my business, you know, self-made, whatever I can do this. And, um, my mom and dad, they were pushing me and they were like, listen, you know, you just have this piece of paper to fall back on. Right. So, you know, there's a huge debate about college and whether it's really worth it for everybody. And I'm of the opinion that it's not for everybody. And you don't need to go to college to be successful. I did go to college and yeah, I do think a portion of my success is based on my schooling, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to give it a hundred percent. Right. Because mm-hmm. experience I think outweighs just about everything. 100%. So um, my parents were like, hey, you know, you'll have this big degree. You'll have this paper to fall back on. And knowing what I know now, I'm not going to try to sound cocky, but I could walk into almost any landscape company in America right now and make a good case for why you should hire me and why I'd be a productive member of your staff. And a degree is a really great starting and sounding off point. But I think my experience as a business owner, my experience as a foreman, you know, my experience as a salesperson that I can really help in your business. So that's been like one of the main things that's kept me going in my business is knowing that, Hey, if this shit goes south, mm-hmm. I can't make any money. I can close up and I can go get a job anywhere and I'll be okay. Yeah. So I am grateful to my parents for pushing me to do that. And my time at tech was uh, unparalleled. So I don't really have any regrets there. That's, that's really cool. And, and, uh, you know, the parents always have the best interest in mind usually, right? So even my mother, when I graduated high school, she's like, so uh, what are you going to do now? And I honestly didn't know. Like we were doing landscaping stuff. I didn't know what the next step was. I'm like, I'm just going to keep making money. And she's like, what if you, just in case, I think just like your mother said, just have something to fall back on. What if you went to a, a local technical school and you, uh, you know, you, you studied something there. So you had something to fall back on. And I, I took the bait and I was like, okay. So I, mean, I didn't live there. I went back and forth and I was still in a business and worked at a restaurant too, all those things at the same time. And, you know, I got a, I after two years, got a degree in architectural drafting and engineering. Right. And mm-hmm. it's to this day, I haven't really used anything that I got there. Right. But it's like, oh, you can always ba- have that as a backup. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't landscape design by any means or outdoor living design or any of that stuff. But I think, and this is what I want to segue into our, my next question for you is in college, how much did he teach you about communication and sales from the business side, not just plants and procedures and, you know, what is always, you know, design strat- strategies and, and things like that. How did they actually prepare you for communicating with clients and money? 
So I think that's a really great thing. Um, there wasn't any like specific like teacher that sat down and was like, okay, we're going to talk about how you sell. Mm -hmm. Um, it was more just what I learned through all four years of how to talk to people. So, um, I was in horticulture club at Virginia tech for all four years. Right. So I started out just doing, you know, they're organizing the plant sale. I worked my way up to being, you know, the treasurer. And then I was the president my senior year. And, you know, through all those positions, communication is paramount because you're, mm -hmm. you're a sophomore in college and you're talking to nurseries, you know, that are three hours away from you about a $30,000 order that you're placing. So as a sophomore in college, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And you learn about communication and email etiquette, just like through doing stuff. Um, so I think one of the biggest, at least, you know, training points for me was that we were in a, um, a landscape design class and we were talking about, you know, selling a project and it was, it's like half a unit. It was very tiny, but, um, my landscape design professor, Scott Douglas, you know, was, was walking us through doing a takeoff and he said, you know, once you, you don't pull all your material quantities and you start putting in your markups, he said, you know, you're going to have to come up with a full like set price to sell to your client. Um, and I think somebody in the back asked, you know, how do you sell it? And he said, you have to be confident. Mm. He said, that's really the only way they're going to. He said, they obviously chose you for a reason. Right. So you just have to assume that you're the only contractor in the room. And then you just have to exude that confidence. And I, I didn't have that confidence at that age. I was just like, oh, you know, everybody's probably better than me, like, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that did teach me a decent lesson and something I just try to sell with today is that sell it like you're the only contractor there that they're talking to and that they want you for some specific reason and that you're the best qualified one for the job. I mean, it, it just takes a lot of self-confidence and mm -hmm. I'm still working on that. But I think that that's one of the best ways that you can sell. And, you know, the money kind of just works off that where, you know, oh, you have this confidence. Yes, this is the cost associated with it, but this is the cost to make your dreams come true. And again, just, you know, steamrolling and just making that money just a side effect of your sale. Right. So you're selling the experience. You're not mm -hmm. selling you know, the pack, you're not selling the, the, the money side, you're not selling a $30,000 landscape, you're selling an oasis, a little small spot for them to get away after work and their kids and all that to make memories. And that's what you're selling. Mm -hmm. You know, the money is just how you get there, but that's not, you know, the end goal. So you have to sell the end goal. And then most people will just accept that, Hey, this money is part of it. And that's how we're going to get to our end goal. Now, it's completely different if you're trying to sell to them out of your budget. It's a different strategy, right? So I always just try to work within their budget and be at the top end, but not mm -hmm. over, right? Because mm -hmm. that's that's easy to sell that way. So now you mentioned confidence and building that confidence. Um, you know, I think that's you're spot on with that, dude. If you can, if you're confident in what you're communicating or selling to somebody, there's a much higher probability that you're going to move forward with that than if you come in looking at the ground, kicking your shoes with your hands in your pocket, saying, "You don't want to buy this for me, do you?" <laughs> right? That's not. <laughs> it's not going to work. So, my question to you is, how are you building that confidence? You know, you had mentioned in school that wasn't you, but now obviously owning a business, you have to have some confidence, right? So, how yeah. are you working daily, monthly, yearly, whatever? To, to gain that confidence so that you can keep growing your business. How are you doing that? So I am grateful that I have about five or six mentors that I talk to um, either on a monthly basis or a bi-weekly basis. Um, and I'll give them a, a couple shout outs, but Todd Walters with Valley Landscapes based in Christiansburg, Virginia. He's number one. Nice. Um, I can call Todd right now and be like, hey, I got a problem. And he's like, all right, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Josh Kane, uh, Kane Landscapes in Sterling, Virginia, you, you want to talk about outdoor living. I mean, they do some insane stuff with outdoor living. Um, and then BWS in Richmond, um, Brad Swartzel built a very impressive company. So I talk to him occasionally. So there's others. But um, I am able to talk to people you know, other business owners and say, Hey, you know, I'm going through this right now. You know, how would you deal with this? 
And um, I think it was best summed up. I was talking to uh, Billy Barron. He's a local business owner. He owns a company called Bethlehem Hardscapes. And he mm-hmm. does really integral, really cool hardscape stuff. And he was like, he's like, dude, he's like, I don't know, man. But he said, you know, I just, I just go in there and pretend like I'm the only contractor in the room. You know, and he said, I just sell because they want Bethlehem. They want me. Right. So being able to talk to other contractors and I think, you know, if you're polite about it and you develop that personal relationship and it isn't just them, you know, hearing from you and being like, Hey, I got this problem. Hey, I got this problem. I got a problem. You know, like you're going to wear out the relationship that way. So you have to bring something else to the relationship. So what I do is I listen to their staffing needs and I know a bunch of people who are graduating looking for jobs and I'll just shoot them all their way. Nice. And I'll be like, Hey, you should talk to Heather. You know, she's graduating with a landscape design degree and she's trying to live in the area. She doesn't know what she wants to do, but she could be a really good candidate for what you're trying for with your client representative. Right. So I was able to do that with, um, this girl who graduated from the tech program. She had a landscape design degree and she was in the, um, Virginia beach, area and she wanted to kind of stay in the area but she wanted to be more creative she was working in a garden center and it's just ordering plants and it just wasn't what she wanted to do so i connected her with um horizon grounds in virginia beach and now she's a client rep for them and she gets to sell enhancements and do design stuff so that's what i bring to the relationship is that i know a lot of people i know a lot of students who are looking for jobs so I'm able to bring the positivity that way and send people their way. And that's the value that I bring to them, at least right now. And what I love about what you just said is the fact that you aren't just going with your hands out to these other, um, you know, people in the market saying, Hey, I, help me, help me, please. I'm a victim. Help me, help me. I need some help. You're coming with value, right? There's something we always talk here uh, at Yes Express about is value first. If you want to do anything, business, relationships, whatever, bring value first, bring so much value and don't ask for anything. Just bring the value the, the, the money will follow later, right? Instead of focusing on the income, focus on the outcome. Yes. And when you do that and you start focusing on a bigger outcome, you start building a tribe as you've already done, which is beautiful, right? You start building a tribe of people that you can just pick up a phone and call and they're like, heck yeah, we're taking care of Joe. Joe, he, he adds value to this tribe. He adds value. He listens. He brings people my way. That's how you build a solid relationship instead of just running around like, please help me, please help me put your hand out. So I'm glad yeah. you've realized that early, especially being young and hungry. That's how you'll grow quickest. And I love that you're already implementing that too. That's that's so important. Um, what do you think that the best advice you've ever received from one of your mentors? Oh, that's a hard one. I've received plenty of advice. A lot of it I didn't listen to. Mm-hmm. I should have. <laughs> um, I think Probably the best advice I've received was probably from Todd at Valley. And the context for this was I was cash poor, right? So I think it's, I don't think it's talked about enough in the landscape industry that when you're starting and I'm in, you know, year two and a half or so of, you know, being in business. So I'm still like fairly young, but cash flow and your finances and lenders, all of that world is brand new. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's just not talked about a lot. Especially not in college, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> <Absolutely> <laughs> another one kick you out of the nest and say, fly, bitch, fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Drop kick you. Yeah, yeah. It's more like it. Um, so I was cash poor and I called him and I said, Hey, you know, if this all goes South, you think you could hire me? You think you'd, you have a spot for me? And he said, um, he said, we don't have a spot for you. And he said, not because we don't have a spot, but he said, I'm not going to allow you to give up this quickly. Mm-hmm. He said, all of this will pass. Um, he said, I remember being, you know, with my company being so young and he, his storage space, he used to rent um, spot from a farmer at like a dairy barn. Right. And so he would come home from work and he'd be smelling like cow shit, even though he doesn't work in dairy, but that's where he kept all his stuff. And, you know, he would come home and he would be like, oh, well, got $200 in my checking account. You know, maybe the McDonald's dollar menu is looking real good right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, pr- pr- probably the best re- advice I've ever received, as cliche as it is, is don't give up. Like all of this will pass. And it's not about, you know, being scared. It's about just having, again, 
the wherewithal to understand that you have value and that you will come around this the other side. And I still have moments where I'm fairly scared about cash flow and how our finances look. But, you know, it's just, it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. And so that's a lot of trust to put into something. But you have to have that trust in yourself that you're going to be fine. So, again, it's, it's probably the best advice I've ever received, but it's still something that gives me pause pretty much on a daily basis. And when you say trust in yourself, how are you actively building trust in yourself? Because all trust starts within us. You know, if we want to say trust is out there, eventually <clears throat> one day I'll trust somebody when they're worthy of trust. No, it starts within your soul. When you trust yourself, you can trust other people fully. So how, how have you been managing and growing that? So I, I think that I give trust in myself from looking at my history. So our, our history of completed jobs. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the success stories from that, how happy our clients are. And I'm like, okay, no, you're, you're not faking it till you make it right now. Like you're really doing it. So just allowing myself to be happy with myself for once, because I'm a very critical person of myself. Um, always the first one to point out my flaws or, or something like that. So, um, I don't say that I even trust myself a hundred percent, but I do know that in terms of certain projects, we know what we're doing. We're very competent and we have good people. Like my crew is very competent. Like they're, they're just genuinely good people. Right. So I have trusted myself because I'm able to look at our history and I'm able to look at our past jobs and I'm able to say, we did that right. We did right by them. So I need to trust myself because this is the same situation. All right. There's always the emotional feeling of trust. And there's also the, uh, the capture of that trust or the seeing it around you, right? And when you see it around you in projects, as you do, you're like, look back through a photo book and you're like, damn, we killed that thing. That is amazing. We can do that a thousand more times. My team, the competency of my team, because with competency comes, uh, you know, all of your confidence, right? You're like, okay, I know that we're Definitely we can do this. So confidence comes from it. If you're trying to go out and sell your first landscape or your first outdoor living space that has a pool, a deck, a patio and all this stuff, and you've only ever planted plants and now you're hiring subcontractors and all, there's a lot of risk in that, right? There's a lot yeah. of fear comes up. A lot of those saboteurs start shaking your cage. Like, dude, you've never done this before. You're crazy. What are you doing? You're going to lose money. You're going to lose your shirt. You're going to take this whole thing under. And my suggestion would be if you're heading in that direction is to just take it slow, right? Just Add one extra piece, add a subcontractor in there if you want to for a deck or a pool or something and just keep working. Eventually they stack, right? They, they start stacking and you're doing really cool projects after a while. And you're like, man, I remember back when just planting plants was nerve wracking. And now we're able to do all of these different things because we, we learn competency as we move through each a step at a time. You don't need the whole thing at once. Take your time. Do that yeah. deck. Add the yeah. pool in the next project and keep moving up. Have you found it to be a similar path? Yeah, there's definitely projects that I've referred to other people because it's too advanced yeah. for me. And that that takes a lot of sucking it up on my mm. part because I want to do the big, fancy, cool projects. I want to have that photo book, loop, But um, no, um, we do actually one of the things that we're really becoming known for is drainage. Um, you know, you wouldn't think of drainage as like a mainstay in a business. It's just an add on that you do with patios or whatever. But we're becoming known for it. We've got a project that we're working on actively right now. It's a $52,000 contract. And we're redoing a bunch of drainage for a condo complex. Um, we're working in a couple different courts to redo how the stormwater and the groundwater manipulates itself through the landscape. And we're just coming up with really smart solutions about how that water can be managed, but not, you know, in this huge colossal grand thing. We're using small you know, innovative solutions to channel that water through the landscape because the project was, um, the condo complex was built in the eighties and it was built with a natural grade plan. Right. So they just didn't cut to make a flat space, you know, cut and fill or whatever. They just carved out shelves in the landscape. But the problem is, is that Chesterfield County was built on a swamp. Hmm. So, you know, you're going to have that water drainage issue. So, um, we've been working with them. This is our second or third project with them. Um, and so we're just able to, you know, I can take that this $52,000 project where we're working in multiple courts and, you know, our 
you know, our project list is just this like yay mile long that we're just trying to work through. Mm-hmm. And I could take that to a smaller drainage job and have the confidence to tell the homeowner, yes, we can do two downspout takeoffs with cleanouts. We've got a couple catch basins. We'll run a six inch pipe out here, you know, to daylight our pipe. And those smaller drainage projects now just become like peanuts yeah. compared to doing whole condo courts, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I just want to say that we're not doing this project with anything fancy, right? So, um, I have a long-term rent on an excavator. I have a long-term rent on a mini skid. Um, we have our tools that we shuttle there in my open mowing trailer because I don't have an enclosed trailer yet. So our, our tools shuttle there. And then when we get back to the shop at the end of the day, we unload it and we put the mowers on or, you know, whatever we're doing. And so, you know, we have all this, we're not doing anything super crazy. We're just, you know, doing it. And it's me and two guys. And I mean, those two guys are extremely confident, but this is not a huge crew. You know, we're not, you know, a huge established company, but we're getting it done. And they have the trust in us to do this and create these solutions because they already trusted us with this one court that was giving them tens, you know, tens of thousand dollars worth of damage because of flooding in crawl spaces. Right. So then they hired us and all of it stopped. Amazing. So now, yeah, um, yeah. now we have that confidence, we have that trust with them, and we can come back and achieve this really big monstrous project. And now they want us to bid on the maintenance for them, nice. so that we're there all the time, and that we can, you know, you know, see problems before they become a big deal. So value first, yeah, just show yeah, them just, the value. <laughs> just, just bring bring confidence, and mm-hmm. I say all that because literally, like. We're, I'm nothing fancy. I mean, like I said, I have two guys. I'm looking for a third guy right now to kind of finish out that crew. And I'm getting ready to go buy a truck probably later today, buy a second truck for that crew so I can get somebody dedicated and get somebody nice. rolling. And I could go out and bid more projects, right? That's the hope. So Yes, absolutely. But we're nothing fancy. We're, you know, still in the very grind stages, but... Yeah. I don't go out and pretend that we're anything great, but I know the value we bring. I know the quality we bring. So I, I can sell based on that. You already are great because you already know that. You already know that you're bringing value to people and that's really what it's all about. It The, the numbers of crews and, and volume of sales doesn't mean shit. What means the difference is that you're out there helping the people, truly helping them and solving problems for them on a way that and on a scale that they're they have all these issues where you said to ten, tens of thousands of dollars in damage constantly and you fix the problem dude that makes you great you yep. know it's 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 all how you wire what success means right and success is when you've got happy clients and you're doing a great job and you love what you do i mean what else in life is there right if you can have a servant's heart and you can just keep giving and, and keep doing what you love and you have others in your tribe you know your teammates that are out there doing exactly what they love to do and you're all coming together i mean that's what it's all about, dude. It's not about numbers and scale. And you're not going to be the size of, you know, these huge conglomerates. You don't want to be. Yeah. You want to have control over your destiny. You want to be able to be out there doing what you love to do. You want to say, you know what? No, today we're going to do this project instead of that one and have control over your life. And that's, yeah. it's powerful, dude. And that's why we're crazy enough. You know, you and I, and many people listening to be on our own and be out there every day, you know, with the, killing and bringing it in for, you know, for dinner and like just every day, just going out there doing it right. And that grind that's in you now, don't lose it because you're going to need it later. Don't, don't think it gets easier later. It just gets different. Anybody listening that's grown a business, I've been in 25 years in this industry and I started off very similar to, to what Joe's talking about here and man, it just, it changes, but, and you have to keep growing as a person. The business constantly keeps putting a mirror up in front of your face and saying, are you enough? Are you ready? (laughs) <laughs> Are you enough? Are you ready? Right. A business yeah. does that like nothing else. That's why most people won't get into business because it's too real and raw for them. They've got to constantly be looking in at themselves and saying, what do I need to do to become the person to do that, to grow a business, to grow a team, to be a leader? And that's really fucking scary. Yes. <laughs> right. There's, there's no way to get around that. It's really huh. scary stuff. And if some people have the guts to do it, and stand out there every day taking the beating of the the storms, the rain, the winds, all of that stuff. And others aren't. And that's okay. Everybody just yeah. has to know their, their path. But I have such mad respect, especially in our industry, for business owners because I know what it takes. And I know that it takes a lot, a lot of grit. It takes a lot of 
confidence, a lot of being slapped in the face, you know, and that's the one last question I have for you is how do you handle failure? It's inevitable, right? It's yeah. coming. It's going to be here. You can't avoid it. How do you handle it right now? Happens all the time. Um, so, you know, we have, I have failures all the given time. Like I have a project that, um, it's a nice sized project. Right. And, um, I went out and looked at it on August 5th and it's August 30th. Right. And I am just getting ready to send in the quote, you know, it's like stupid. Like my turnaround time should be way faster. And so I consider that a failure on my part because I'm not getting it, getting to it fast enough. Now, granted, it's a complicated project is there's a lot of, you know, you know, legwork that I had to do to get to this quote, you know, a lot of nurseries that I had to call a lot of people that I had to reach out to, to, you know, find everything for this project. So, but I I definitely take it as a personal failure. I don't um, take it on the chin, probably like I should. Um, I definitely absorb a lot of that into myself. And um, I definitely, that's definitely something that I'm working on. I don't think that I'm really that good at it yet. You know, I'm working on becoming better at dealing with failure and not personally attaching it to me and my, you know, um, my well-being as a person and not attaching it to my worth as a person. I think that's a big thing that a lot of people think that they're worthless because of their failures and because of everything that they're going through. And I think there's a huge problem in the industry that they don't talk about that with depression among contractors. And it's just, it's a huge thing. Nobody wants to talk about it, but I think it's something worth talking about. So I definitely think that learning to handle failure in a healthy way is more important than what compactor you have or what cutoff saw you have. Um, because you could have the best equipment in the world, but if you can't handle failure, you're not going to last very long in the business. So I guess to answer your question, I'm not going to say that I've taken failure well, but I've worked out a system to where I can allow myself to be upset, to be angry at myself, but then process it, move on and find a solution. That's amazing, dude. I'm glad you realized that because um, I wasn't as smart when I was younger. I, I internalized everything. If a client said no to a project or got mad, it was directed at directly at my soul. Like it went right inside me. I couldn't sleep at night, nerve wracked, anxiety, all that stuff, because I'm like, I failed. I fucked up again. How many times am I going to do this? You're a failure. You're ever going to get it right. Right. That constant, constant uh, head trash, that voice in your head that just constantly knocking you down. Right. It's there. Those saboteurs are very real and they want everything to do everything in their power to keep you small. And when you want to grow a business or you just want to start a business for that, you know, you're going to be running into this. And, and I've had to rewire a lot of that too, just like you're, you're dealing with, right? I had to rewire a lot of that and say, you know what? I never fail. I learn, right? First of all, I'm not going to give the saboteurs the, the right to that. This is learning. You can go to college and you can try to learn everything perfect, but you're not going to get everything you need in life, right? Not even, close. even if you didn't even go to college and you started a business, you know, and, and get rolling with that, you're going to run into things. And it, I've learned throughout my career and out throughout my life that in the beginning, I tried to avoid conflicts and everything like the plague. I would do any, I'd say yes to everybody. So I didn't have to deal with facing bigger problems, right? Because then I would have to deal with the fact that I messed up and I didn't like that. So what I would do is I would learn how to stay under the umbrella and stay out of the rain any way I could stay under the overhang, like stay out of the rain, raining, being the, the, the craziness, the failures of life, right? Try to stay away from them as much as possible and avoid them. And it wasn't until I realized I had to get really good at dancing in the rain, yeah. right? Bring on your nastiest problems, your biggest, whatever it might be. Just bring it on. I can handle it. God gave me enough inside of me right now that I can handle it. I might not have all the answers. I might not have a protocol in place yet, but I know nothing somebody says to me can knock me down. They're words. They're, they're, they're letters formed in a certain pattern. The meaning that those words have are directly coming from your brain. Your brain is telling you what they mean. It's it's yeah. assigning a meaning to it. So if you're assigning that meaning where, uh, you know what, Joe, you messed up again. That, was, um, that wasn't a good idea. You're a failure, you're an idiot. If you keep running that in your head, you will be that. And that's where the depression kicks in. And that's where all that, because you keep hearing that same negative voice. But if you're like, you know what, you have to hijack your brain. You have to say, no, stop it. Well, as soon as that starts, stop it. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I messed up. I'm learning. 
I'm new in business. This is very normal. I have people I can go to. I have a tribe. You're smart enough to do that. Reach out to people in your environment, in your, your people listening out there, you know, listeners to this podcast, reach out to people around you. I guarantee there are many of them for no money at all that are willing to help you. They just want to help and share. They've been yeah. through it before. There's no point in you going out there and reinventing the wheel because you're too proud to ask for help or you're not, you're not able to be or want to be vulnerable because you're a man, you can't be vulnerable. Some of the yeah. most powerful men I know are vulnerable within their tribe. They will tell you exactly what they made a mistake on, what they're learning about right now, and they will share that. So if you're going, if you're only surrounding yourself with people that are pounding their chest and never make mistakes, then you need a new tribe. Yeah. It's not real. 100%. You know, you're not going to learn anything from anybody who's just doing it all right 100% of the time. Never. Because then they don't make any mistakes and there's nothing that you can compare or they're you know, lying. Create com- camaraderie with. Yeah. But they're lying. If they don't make mistakes, they're lying or they're playing so small that it's a joke. Let's be honest. Yeah. You know as well as I do, dude, the bigger you play, the more black eyes and broken bones you're going to get. That's just what it is. It's the right of the course. There is no way around that. You yeah. cannot have you know, a, a perfect uh, batting score. Like that just doesn't work. You're going to make mistakes. And that is all part of, it's part of the process. You have to embrace and love those things, even though they suck. Yeah. <laughs> they suck big ones. Right. Exactly. So. But look, but what you did, Joe, and I have to give you pl- plenty of credit for this. What you did is you had a problem with the story we started with here, right? With the client who took advantage of you at the end of the project with your change orders, right? You had a problem. You didn't go back and say, woe is me. I lost 2,500 bucks. Fuck them. They're a bunch of idiots. I'm going to just shut my business down. This isn't good enough. No, what did you do? I picked myself back up and kept going. But you put a protocol in place that you make sure everybody, this is how you solve these problems, guys. If you, you put a protocol, it happens once, done. Okay, that's learning. Second time is stupidity. Yeah. So first time you get burned, okay, good. Second time you're like, you know what? Nope. Every single change order is going to be signed by a client. I want 50% down. I know people look at 100% down on a change order and they mark that stuff up like crazy. The one yep. guy I had on the podcast, he was telling us of a friend who has a boat that he paid for. It's called change order. He bought a boat <laughs> with all the change order money because he has the highest margin on the change orders because think about it. They immediately oh. want it now. It's that you got to scramble and make this happen. You're pushing other projects further. So you got to deal with clients that are upset because you're going to be a day or two, whatever, week late. So why aren't they at the highest margin? Yeah. If they can't make their mind up ahead of time, so it's just better for you. But the reality is that you made a protocol. You said, look, problem, solution. How many times have you run into that problem since you made a protocol? Very, very minimal at best. And yep. usually it comes down to some very small minutia of a very specific change order. And I just point to the contract and I'm like, well, I'm sorry that that happened, but you did sign this agreement. And... If they're nice during the course of the project, I'll work out a payment schedule with them. But if yeah. they're not nice, um, if you can't pay, um, you'll get a call from my lawyer. Yeah. Moving through. And the fact that you set that up, you're going to have, and you're going to find little bumps in that, you know, that protocol as well. You're like, okay, this worked. That's great to solve that problem. But now I have all these other problems. Yeah. So then you're like, okay, got it's, it's a constant thing. That's business that never goes away. You know, yeah. I'm going to be a spoiler alert here. It never goes away. It's just becomes different. And as you get better at problem solving and problem solution focusing like that, where you put a protocol in place, pretty soon you have systems. Then as you yeah. grow your company, you're like, all right, well, Joe, this happened. Your, your you know, team leader comes to you and said, Joe, this happens. Well, this is how we always handle it. Yeah. You don't have to go back and try to reinvent the wheel. It's already done. Okay. Well, every single change order gets a signature and they put 50% down. It's not a surprise at the end when they have two change orders and they sign two documents for change orders. And here's a difference of $5,000. It should be not a surprise. Expectations should be met. Yeah. And so then, and at the end with the payment schedule, if, you know, we get to the final invoice and I'm like, Hey, like, you know, this is the final invoice. It's not truly the final invoice. Cause we have, you know, those change orders at the end. Mm-hmm. And there's just, again, just that little push, that little reminder. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that'll that'll come after this. Okay. Yep. Yep. So. Set those expectations and deliver. Well, Joe, I've definitely enjoyed our conversation today. And uh, if people want to reach out to you and talk to you, you know, a little bit about how you started your business or, heck, even want you to mentor them as they're starting their business. That's the beautiful part about this, guys. We all have a little candle and we can light each other's candles and not one person's candle goes out or even gets smaller. Like if I hand Joe... 
uh, to light his candle from my candle, my candle stays the same or gets brighter because his is also brighter. So the entire room becomes brighter. That's the beautiful part about all this. And he's finding that out through mentorships. I'm so happy you found that out. It took me way too long to realize that. I was an island for most of my career, figuring out uh, that a little too late. But then once I did, I was like, oh my goodness, man, I missed this. I missed this. And now I'm in it, right? So I have mentors and coaches on every single level of my life for that reason. Uh, and it's made all the difference uh, in everything. So uh, Joe, how can people find you if they want to reach out and, and see if you can help them? Uh, so I do have Facebook and Instagram pages for my company, which is um, Facebook is Riverside Landscape and Design, LLC. Um, Instagram is at Riverside Richmond. Um, but you can also reach out to me personally if you want to. Um, Joe Mills, Joe.Mills underscore 96 on Instagram is my personal. Um, it's public and um, you can reach out to me or DM me there. Um, always happy to help people out. Um, I think that's really cool that you think that, you know, people would want to be a, have me mentor them. I don't pretend to know what I'm doing a hundred percent of the time at all. I am more than happy to help and tell you how I moved on and from this failure and how to prevent you from achieving the same failure. So I'm more than happy to do that. I love it. I love it, Joe. And you know, you have a servant's heart in that sense. And uh, your story is unique. You're the only one with your fingerprint. So your story is unique. And with your story, you have the power to change the world. Just don't squander it. That's all I ask. Don't squander it. Share yeah. it. Even if you think it's insignificant, share it with people because they are going to grow from it. I grew a lot from just listening today before your, from your story, right? And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will as well because they can relate to starting out. Everybody had to start out at some point, right? So you just keep the grind and keep rolling, dude, because you're killing it. And uh, I love that we've had this conversation, man. So guys, if you have, uh, you know, obviously our goal here on the outer spaces is to uh, have conversations with people like Joe that are starting out or in the trenches doing these, the things that we're doing each and every day and some of their struggles and things. Maybe we'll learn something, right? Worst cases, we'll learn something. So I appreciate everybody listening. You know, our goal is to impact and empower 2 million. And we're well on our way to that because of your incredible sharing and all of that. If you love this episode and you want to share it with someone it's amazing um also if you if you love it leave us a review you know the more reviews we have the more it pushes it up in the in the overall podcast sphere if you will and the more people will find it in our industry and then be able to hear amazing stories like joe just shared with us and hopefully get some uh you know some wind in their sail and they can keep growing so uh joe any last thoughts or uh anything you want to bestow on our our listenership before we head out yeah i have very one small little thing um Virginia Tech's motto is ut prosum, and it means for that I may serve. I love that. So I've always kind of taken that to heart and realized that I serve clients. I serve at their pleasure. You know, they don't have to choose me, right? So again, bring that value. That's the most important thing I can probably say today. I love it, bro. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you for coming on today. I appreciated our conversation and everyone listening out there. Get out there and be dangerous. Talk to you next week. <laughs>